Hello everyone and welcome back to the Underground Myself and Mikhail here and today we've got another episode of Trope Tactics. Now I know it's been a while since we last visited the series, however I think a lot of you will enjoy today's episode because we're going to be discussing Kaiju and how they don't necessarily fit 100% of the time into the role of a trope. With that said, let's get started. Now before we go deeper into how Kaiju don't necessarily fit into the trope aspect of narrative and literature, we need to discuss another trope that breaks this mold and kind of transcends it, and that's the detective. So when you look at the detective, there's three things that actually kind of stand out. You have the characters, such as Sherlock Holmes and L.K. Poirot. You have the genres of detective stories, such as noir, in which the protagonist or the detective is solving crimes or a case, but he's confronted with the darkest that humanity has to offer while trying not to let his own humanity slip away from him. You also have the story arcs that contain detective work, in which it's not necessarily the might or the strength of the protagonist that allows him to overcome the obstacle or antagonist. Rather, it's their intuition, pattern recognition, and problem-solving skills that allows them to overcome the obstacle or antagonist. When we look at kaiju, they kind of fit into this. You see, you have the kaiju as characters themselves. Godzilla, Mothra, Ultraman, and Gamera. You have kaiju as a genre. And I mean, when you look at the Gamera movies, they're distinctly their own type of kaiju film from Godzilla. Godzilla is distinctly his own franchise from and genre from the other films, as well as Mothra and the Ultraman television shows. Heck, even Pacific Rim is its own subgenre of kaiju when you look at the movies, the comic books, and the television shows on Netflix. But then there is the trope aspect, and that's what a lot of people gravitate towards because kaiju are really great ways to give a physical manifestation to a concept or an idea that may not necessarily have a lot of physical forms that you can point towards and say, that's what that looks like. For example, the original 1954 Godzilla was not only an allegory and metaphor to the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but he was also a metaphor for the recent Castle Bravo incident. Now, I want everyone at home to go and Google the Castle Bravo incident and then when the original 1954 Godzilla came out, and you'll realize it's not coincidental how soon those events are from each other. You also have other ones like Ultraman is an allegory for Christ or Christianity because in the opening episode, the original Ultraman crashes his spaceship into Shin Hayata's VTOL and thus kills Hayata. Ultraman feels remorse over this, and thus decides to bind his life to him in order to bring him back, and they combine forces in order to defeat other monsters, with the original goal of defeating Bemular, who escaped the monster graveyard. Now, if some of this sounds kind of familiar, that's because overly sarcastic productions and podcasts kind of went over this already in their trope talk of kaiju. Now, I think it's a really well done episode on kaiju as a trope. And this isn't me trying to riff or rip off them. I'm trying to expand the conversation. 
And I really think if you are looking to use kaiju as a metaphor or an allegory or in the trope aspect of what kaiju are, definitely check that video out because it can give you some really great pointers and ways to build your narrative around him. However, something I think they kind of missed the mark on was discussing about character drift. I think that's a problem to discuss that with regards to a trope, especially when they used Godzilla. The reason why I think that's an issue is because Godzilla has evolved over time radically into not just a mascot type of character for his own franchise, but emblematic of kaiju and its potential because he's turned into basically an actor with all the different roles he's played. He's played Natural Disasters, the Beast of the Apocalypse. He's been the revengeful souls of the World War II victims. He's been an unwitting and unknowing ally of humanity. He's been a father, a family man. He's also been a metaphor for nuclear problems and bombs and the future threat of nuclear weapons. His roles are just any actor would salivate over. And the only one you can compare him to in terms of acting credits and like diversification of roles would be people like Nicolas Cage and Johnny Depp. And I feel like that that's important to bring that up because Godzilla has a lot of holdovers. You know, when you look at the MonsterVerse, you know, he has his atomic powers and everything. And they brought this up in the episode and how he's now a good guy. He's a Titan that, oh yeah, they cure global warming and how it's a far cry from his original allegory and metaphor. I don't think you can 100% try to slot that back into the original metaphor and the original trope usage of Godzilla. I think that's something we need to take into account. For example, let's look at Ultraman. Originally, when Ultraman came out, yes, he was supposed to be an allegory because the creator, shortly before creating Ultraman, turned to Christianity. He converted. And thus, there's a lot of things you can look at and where you see these references and these allegories. Like I stated earlier, when he revives Shin Hayata because he feels remorseful over killing him, Another thing too, Ultraman is from the Land of Light. That is where he comes from. Kind of a bit on the nose. He also has superpowers and can fight aliens in order to protect humanity because he feels forgiveness towards them. Not only that, but he feels indebted to protect them and help protect them. Also, his Specium Ray attack, he forms his arms into the shape of a cross in order to use a Specium Ray attack. That's very on the nose. Another thing, too, is the character evolved over time, and thus we got multiple Ultramans. Like, we had Ultra 7, Ultraman Tiga, Ultraman Ken. We even had the Ultra King, and we learned about the society of the Ultraman and how they're very much a peace-loving society, and while they can die, they are effectively immortal because they have super long lifespans. And they come from the Land of Light, and they're very peaceful species. Now, one thing you might be able to point out to is, well, if it's a trope, we can look at Ultraman Belial because he commits ultimate sins and so he's a Judas figure. Yes and no. The problem is Belial repeatedly comes back. Whereas if he was really a Judas metaphor for the Ultraman and the Ultra species, he would have destroyed himself or sacrificed himself for committing the ultimate crime of betraying the Ultraman trying to steal the Great Spark. But he doesn't do that. Also, he actively hunts other Ultramen, such as his own son, Geed. 
And it's really interesting because you look at Ultraman and he evolves from being a Christ or Christianity metaphor to being a functioning society of other ultra species and even having dark ultras and those who are morally in the wrong. At that point, you know, yes, you can still see the metaphors bleed through every once in a while, but they've evolved past that. Now, Ultraman is kind of its own subgenre of kaiju and tokusatsu as well, which is the medium of which that, you know, Power Rangers, you know, if you know what I'm, if you get that imagery, you know, that's basically what Godzilla and Ultraman and Power Rangers, they're all those special effects, the campiness and practicality, that's all tokusatsu. Side digression over. And then we need to look at what kaiju means. Kaiju does not mean giant monster. It means strange beast. And that moniker fits not only Godzilla very well, but Ultraman from just what I described. And not all kaiju have to be huge. I mean, we've seen how in other franchises that the kaiju don't necessarily have to be huge. I mean, look at Godzilla singular point. The Rodans and the Anguruses were not necessarily 50 meters tall or whatever, but they were classified as kaiju. Also, Jet Jaguar, if you count the mechas as an alternate type of kaiju within the realm of Godzilla, you have size changers, and Ultraman can do that. So I think Ultraman kind of counts as a kaiju. Now, I know the back half of this episode or back third may have seemed like I'm gushing over Ultraman. While I do enjoy the Ultraman franchise and series, I think it's important to bring it up because while OSP, Overly Sarcastic Productions and Podcasts, didn't bring it up, maybe it was because Godzilla is just a much easier character and kaiju to gravitate towards in order to explain kaiju as a trope, which makes a lot of sense. But in order to understand the full nuance of what kaiju has to offer, you have to look at the Mothra franchise, the Gamera franchise, and the Ultraman franchise as well as the Godzilla franchise, to get the full birth of what you're going to get. And with that said, I don't really have anything else more to offer other than definitely go check these series out, especially Ultraman. I think a lot of you might be really interested to see how Ultraman has fought King Ghidorah and the Yamato no Orochi, as well as Godzilla in the past. Bemular is also really, really cool, so check out that original OG villain. Also, there is a Lovecraft-inspired creature, Gathanator, who's inspired by Gathanatoga, which shows up in the Tiga series. Now, I'm going to stop the gushing right there. And I just want to expand the conversation on Kaiju. And that was the point that I hopefully got across, and hopefully some of you took away, as well as going to research these other franchises. And once again, I'm not ripping or riffing on the OSP group, I think they do excellent videos. I go to them all the time, especially when they have new trope talks. I'm very interested, especially when they're now doing their singular moments now. I, I can't wait to get more of those. With that said, this has been a Bandolier Core production. Finn McHale, signing out.